Praise God. Praise the Lord. Let me make one announcement before we get into the Word this morning. Uh, people ask me from time to time. Tonight is communion. Some people don't come on Sunday night and you haven't taken communion in months, years, decades. Uh, where we're having it tonight. If you need, if you would like to participate and look back at what the cross means and what Jesus has done for us, uh, please come tonight and we'll partake together. I'm on a series called Taking What Belongs to Us. We're in the book of Joshua, chapter 3, and I want to talk today about crossing Jordan. Crossing Jordan, Joshua 3, 1 through 13. Then Joshua rose up early in the morning, and they set out from Acacia Grove and came to the Jordan, and he and all the children of Israel and lodged there before they crossed over. So it was after three days that the officers went through the camp, and they commanded the people, saying, When you see the ark of the covenant of the Lord your God and the priests, the Levites, bearing it, then you shall set out from your place and go after it. Yet there shall be a space between you and it, about 2,000 cubits by measure. Do not come near it, that you may know the way by which you must go, for you have not passed this way before. And Joshua said to the people, Sanctify yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. Then Joshua spoke to the priests, saying, Take up the Ark of the Covenant and cross over before the people. And they took up the Ark of the Covenant and went before the people. And the Lord said to Joshua, This day I will begin to exalt you in the sight of all Israel, that they may know that as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. You shall command the priests who bear the Ark of the Covenant, saying, When you have come to the edge of the water of the Jordan, you shall stand in the Jordan. So Joshua said to the children of Israel, Come here and hear the words of the Lord your God. And Joshua said, By this you shall know that the living God is among you, and that he will without fail drive out from before you the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Hivites, Parasites, Gergesites, the Amorites, the Jebusites. Behold, the ark of the covenant of the Lord of all the earth is crossing over before you, into Jordan. Now therefore take for yourselves twelve men of the tribes of Israel, one man from every tribe, and it shall come to pass as soon as the soles of the feet of the priests who bear the ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth, shall rest in the waters of the Jordan, that the waters of the Jordan shall be cut off, the waters that came down, come down from upstream, and they shall stand as a heap. Okay. I've heard all my life the two happiest days in a man's life is the day he buys a boat and the day he sells it. Because uh, there's a lot of good and bad that comes with being on the water, being with a boat. Uh, we take a lot of it for granted living in Florida. We're surrounded by water, so uh, it's part of our life. I remember when I got my first boat, I paid $1,200 for it. It's a 14-foot Starcraft aluminum boat, kind of semi-hull with a 15-horse Evinrude motor. And a little trailer came with it. And that was a big thing. After about a year, I decided I was going to make that into a bass boat. And I put plywood on it and put carpet on it and put a pedestal seat and a trolling motor and everything. I just decked it all out. That 15-horse motor would not push that boat. And so I had to trade it for another motor. And I swapped my good little 15-horse for a 25-horse. Wasn't a good deal. Wasn't a good trade. Uh, and I won't tell you all the problems we had. 
Uh, I remember we, we used to go to the Swanee River for vacation. The kids were growing up, and this is back in the 80s. And I had my boat and everything. One day, it was time to go home, and Darlene drove the boat and trailer around to the landing over there, and I drove the boat, and she had backed it into the water. And uh, current's really strong on the Swanee River. If you don't know that, it's very strong. And uh, we I don't think I, at that time I had any poles to guide me or anything, and I was trying to get it on there, and the thing was wanting to go sideways because the current was pushing it. And I kept going, and I was getting wore out, and uh, I said, I'm going to drive this thing on there. Because people were ready to come, and that really put pressure on me. I said, Just hang on, if I drive it through the back of the car, I'm coming through. Get out of the way. And uh, we eventually got it on there. Another time, we went down to the backwater down uh, Dunellen, and we were back there. This was in February, and the temperature was like 58 degrees, 60, something like that. It was pretty cold. And back there, they got a lot of stumps. Some stumps are sticking out of the water a little bit. Some are just under the surface. And I hit one of them stumps and sheared a pin. And uh, I had, that was my 25-horse motor that wasn't worth anything. And I had some shear pins, and I got out there and, and uh, lifted up the motor to, to change the pin, put a new pin in there. And I thought that thing was locked, and it wasn't locked. And as I went out there and leaned on it a little bit, it went down, and I went doing all this kind of stuff <laughs> and finally went overboard. And that was some cold water. I come up out there like a porpoise. Uh, <laughs> And I was back in the boat real quickly. We've had a lot of experiences the f five or six years I had a boat. Uh, a lot of things happen on the water. Do you know the Swanee River? Stephen Foster wrote that song way down upon the Swanee River. He never even saw the Swanee River. Never even been to Florida. There's, there's, there's interesting things like the river, the St. John's River. is one of the few rivers that flows from south to north. The Nile is another one like that. I grew up uh, in the hunting club around the Waukesasa River, Cow Creek, Ten Mile Creek, and Bullfrog, and those kind of things. One of the most famous rivers in the world is the Jordan River over there in Israel. Uh, it's one of the most famous events in the world took place where they, the children of Israel crossed over the Jordan River to go into the Promised Land. Now, I did get a chance to go to Israel in 2012. Uh, in the ag world, we had a lot of chemical salesmen all over the country, and they, we took a group and our families. We went over there to Israel in 2012. They knew I was a preacher, so I got to do a lot of the things. There's two or 300 people, and I got to do a lot of things that preachers are supposed to do. So anyway, we went, we're on the side of the Sea of Galilee, on the, uh, and I read the Beatitudes. And uh, we went into the town of Nazareth, went to the synagogue. Some said it might have been the synagogue that was there during the time of Christ. So I read the scriptures that Jesus read when he went in the synagogue and they let him speak. He said, the Spirit of the Lord's upon me and has anointed me to preach the gospel uh, and so forth. Uh, we, went, we got a chance to go to the Western Wall, the Wailing Wall. You've seen it on TV where people there praying at the wall. That wall is the old retaining wall where the old temple was. You remember Jesus said there won't be a stone left and there was, the temple was all destroyed, uh, but that was a wall that was close to the old temple and that's why it's special. Uh, my daughter Lauren went with us and after we were praying at the Wailing Wall, she was so excited. She, she said, Daddy, Daddy, look what I got. And she had a piece of paper. She, I said, where'd you get that? She said, in the cracks of the wall. 
she honestly, she, we laughed about it. She thought she had found the Dead Sea Scroll that nobody else had ever found. It, it was written in Hebrew or whatever. I said, no, that's people's prayers. Go put that back in there. Uh, anyway, uh, I asked the uh, guy, that we had a Jewish guide, and I said, while we're here, we were in Nazareth. I said, were we very close to where the Battle of Armageddon is going to be? He said, yes, we're only a few minutes, not on this tour. But he said, we're here, we'll go, we got some time. So he took our bus, uh, to, we went there and we got out, there was a cliff. I mean, and we looked over that wide spence where the armies of the world are going to gather one day. And Jesus is going to come back on a white horse and the final battle is going to take place. You may not believe this, but when we were getting ready to go back into our bus, a white stallion walked up. There wasn't nobody riding it. I don't know where it came from. And uh, it, I don't know if it meant anything to anybody else. It meant something to me. But anyway, one of the greatest things that took place in my life when we got to go there was baptizing people in the Jordan River. And so let's talk about uh, crossing over Jordan here today, the River Jordan. Let me give you some facts. The Jordan River flows through four countries, Lebanon, Syria, Israel, and Jordan. It comes from the base of Mount Hermon, flows south into the north part of the Sea of Galilee, goes out the south end of the Sea of Galilee to the Dead Sea. It's about 150 miles long. I told you Jericho was the lowest city on earth. The Jordan River is the lowest river on earth. Where it enters into the, uh, the Dead Sea, it's about 1,430 feet below sea level. So it's very, very unusual, uh, this river here, very special. Uh, some of the great events in the Bible took place there, though. Unfortunately, today, it's very polluted because three countries dump a lot of their waste in the Jordan River. But it was a special time uh, for me when I was there. 500 species of birds migrate every year to the Jordan River. Uh, and 600,000 people come, uh, Christians go to visit it every year. Now, here's a powerful message about the Jordan River. It's mentioned over 200 times in the Bible. Some great events took place at this river. Naaman, the, uh, the leper, dipped seven times in the Jordan River and he came out free of his leprosy. You remember there was a time when the sons of the prophets were using an axe and chopping something and they lost the axe head and during the time of Elisha and they called the axe head to float to the top of the river. Uh, there was another time where John the Baptist, of course, was preaching repentance and preparing the way for the Lord, baptizing down at the Jordan River. And, of course, he baptized Jesus at the Jordan River. So when I was standing in the Jordan River, and believe me, maybe it's because of the time of year we went, it was about as cold as standing in Blue Run. And I, all I could think of, I'm standing in the river where Jesus was baptized. And it was, it was really a special time to me. Uh, there are two events in the Bible where God parted the water and people walked through. Now, one time Jesus walked on water. He didn't have to part it. He just walked on it. But the two events where God parted the water, of course, the Red Sea and the Jordan River. The Red Sea, Moses was the leader. The Jordan River, Joshua was the leader. The Red Sea, Moses stretched out his staff or his rod and it parted and all these Israelites walked across. In the Jordan River... It's when the, the priests that were carrying the Ark of the Covenant stepped in. Then the waters parted and the children of Israel walked across. Here's something to think about. The Red Sea 
They were trying to get away from Egypt's armies that were bearing down on them. They were coming back to take them into bondage, and the enemy was coming up from behind, and God parted the waters. But the Jordan River, when God parted the waters, they were running towards their enemy, not from their enemy. It was a whole different situation. The Jordan River and the Red Sea really represents two things. The Red Sea crossing represents salvation. You're leaving your old life of bondage and going to a brand new life. The Jordan River, you're, you're dying to your old self and you're fixing to walk into all that God's possessed or given you for possessions and inheritance as a child of God. Now, I know I told you the other day, a lot of our songs about the Jordan River in church, a lot of people view the Jordan River as like death. I'm going to cross over Jordan into my inheritance and they talk about the promised land or Canaan as heaven. But that's, that's okay, but that's really not what it's talking about. You know, we've, we've sing a lot of songs. On Jordan's stormy banks I stand and cast a wishful eye to Canaan's fair and happy land where my possessions lie. I'm bound for the promised land. I'm bound for the promised land. Or, or songs like this. I won't have to cross Jordan alone. Jesus died all my sins to atone. In the darkness I see he'll be waiting for me. I won't have to cross Jordan alone. Or even songs like this, sweet, Swing Low, Sweet Chariot. I looked over Jordan, and what did I see? Coming for to carry me home. A band of angels coming after me. So we, we think of this situation as going over death, leaving this world, and going into our inheritance, heaven. It's not that, even though that's coming. Believe me, it's coming. Uh, it's talking about going out of your old life now, going walking into a victorious life with what all God's got provided for you. In heaven... Everything's provided for us, but in, in the Canaan land and here that we're talking about, you've got to fight. You've got enemies to try to possess all that God has for you. So anyway, I'll say this. In this life as a Christian, you're going to be an overcomer or you'll be overcome. You're going to be a victor or you're going to be a victim. You're going to walk forward by faith. Or are you going to walk around in circles in doubt and unbelief? You're going to press through and have what God wants you to have and enjoy the fullness of God and His Spirit, or you're going to languish around in ease and compromise, and you're going to live a very defeated life. And the Jordan River experience represents that. Now, let's look at the crossing. The River Jordan is flooded at the time when they're going to go across this water. A couple times a year, the snows melt in Mount Hermon, and when the snow melts and all those little streams and stuff come together, this, this river is usually it's only 75 to 100 feet wide. But uh, it gets flooded at a certain time of the year, and it's flooded at this time. If you'll look at uh, verse 15, it'll tell you. And as those who bore the ark came to the Jordan, and the feet of the priests who bore the ark dipped in the edge of the water, for the Jordan overflows all its banks during the whole time of harvest. So it was overflowing at this time. It was probably marshland out there they're having to uh, go through before they even get to the rivers. It's all out there. Anybody that's been on the Swanee River, you know it floods, subject to flood once a year or twice. And it floods whenever it rains real hot, heavy in South Georgia in the Okefenokee Swamp where it heads up. And if it floods and gets a lot of rain up there, you can count on the Swanee River rising and people build their houses up on stilts and so forth to deal with that. Well, it's flood stage here at the Jordan River. Here's the first point I want to make. God has to prepare his people. Look at verses 1, 2, and 3. Joshua rose early in the morning, 
They set out from Acacia Grove and came to the Jordan, he and all the children of Israel, and lodged there before they crossed over. So it was after three days that the officers went through the camp, and they commanded the people, saying, When you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God and the priests and the Levites bearing it, then you'll set out from your place and go after it. Okay, Joshua got up early in the morning. You know God does things early? God gets up early. Of course, he never sleeps or slumbers, but God does things early. I'm going to preach a series one day. It might be 100 years from now. I just thought about I'd like to show you what God does at midnight and what God does first thing in the morning uh, because God does some wonderful things early in the morning. So the officers come to all the people and say, Get ready when you see the ark leave. When the, the priests are bearing the ark, and, and the Ark's, Ark of the Covenant is mentioned 16 times in chapter 3 and chapter 4, which is the presence of God. That's where the presence of God was. When you see that, get ready to go. Uh, they're used to moving in the wilderness. When they lived in the wilderness for 40 years, when the pillar of cloud or fire by night moved, that's when they moved camp. But now they're moving because God's leading them uh, on the Ark of the Covenant. And uh, God doesn't lead from behind. He leads out front. So if you're going to follow him, you're going to have to be looking ahead, not behind you. One of my favorite scriptures in the Bible is Exodus 33, 14 and 15. This is God and Moses having a conversation. And this is Moses talking. He said, my, this is God first. My presence will go with you and I will give you rest. Then this is what Moses had to say to that. If your presence does not go with us, do not bring us up from here. Here's what he's saying. If you're not going, we're not going. If, we're not le- if you're not leading us, we're staying right here. We don't want to go without you. I want to know, folks, I, I believe with all my... I want to go where God's going. I want to hear what God's saying. I want to do what God wants me to do. I want to be where God wants me to be. I want to have what God wants me to have. And that's, all, that's what Christianity is all about. Anyway... They're going on. Verse 5, he told them, sanctify yourself. Now, earlier when they did that in the, in the wilderness time, when God said, sanctify yourself, it really means to set apart, uh, consecrate yourself, get ready, get your heart and all prepared for what I'm fixing to do. Uh, when he did that in Exodus, the people washed, or took their clothes and washed them and put on new garments. Now, you think about this. In Bible days, they didn't have a washing machine they wore the same thing most all the time. They didn't have hygiene. like we, They didn't have toothbrushes and toothpaste and deodorant. They didn't have water picks. They didn't have razor blades. Women had hairy legs just like men had hairy legs. <laughs> anyway. Uh, <laughs> but they, they had a whole different, whole different lifestyle. Well, anyway... He said, sanctify yourself, get ready. So they cleaned their clothes, and they, it was ceremonial cleansing to get ready. He said, prepare your hearts. The Lord's going to do wonders among you. Let me tell you something. God is not always able to do wonders because of us. Now, we sing a song, and I believe it. My God can do anything, anything, anything. My God can do anything. Yes. But there's some things God can't do. Do you know that? God can't lie. The Bible says he cannot lie. So he can't lie. God can't change. He said, I'm the Lord. I change not. God can't 
break his promises. Every one of his promises is yea yea and amen. God can't overlook sin. The Bible says in Habakkuk, he can't even look upon sin. It's so evil. He's so holy. The Bible says things like this. God can't be pleased without faith. Do you know that? He said it's impossible to please him without faith. So there's things that God can't do. God can't operate. It goes against his nature. It goes against who he is and everything. Now I'll tell you something else though. God's church can't be destroyed. It can. He said, I'll build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Uh, God can't overlook a broken and a contrite spirit. He will not despise. He will not. He can't just ignore that. If you've got that kind of heart, it draws him to you. Uh, God can't stop loving us. There's a lot of things God can't do. But he's fixing to do something here. The Bible says in, in Psalm 78, 41, time and time again the Jews turned away and limited, limited, tied the hands of the Holy One of Israel because of their unbelief. So God can do, do anything, but there's a lot of things he can't do because all he's got to work with is us and we won't let him. So think about that. God has new places for us to go to. Look at verse 4. Yet there shall be a space between you and it. He's talking about when you see the ark going, y'all line up or get ready to follow it. But don't go right up on it. Don't get too close to it because there's holy ground there. It says there will be a space between you and it about 2,000 cubits by measure. That's roughly ballparking about a half a mile. You stay about a half a mile away from it. Make sure you can still see it. Do not come near it that you may know the way by which you must go, for you have not passed this way before. Underline that. So he told the people, stay about a half a mile behind it. Keep your distance. Don't let it out of your sight. You follow that. They have never gone this way before. There was a man named Henry Drummond. I don't know how many of you have heard of Henry Drummond. That's not, he didn't start Drummond Bank. He was, a, he was a Scottish evangelist, and he made a famous statement one time, I shall pass through this world but once. Any good, therefore, that I can do, or any kindness that I can show to any human being, let me do it now. Let me not defer nor neglect it, for I shall not pass this way again. That's what he said, and that's a very powerful scripture. Do it now. You may not have another chance. I will not pass this way again. Here's what the officers are saying to the people. God's fixing to take you a place you haven't been before. You've never passed before. You know, used to, I had a place up in Elegy, a house sold a couple of years ago. We used to go up there every year for vacation. Uh, for about 17, 18 years, we went up there every year in October. When I sold it, now I try to go to a different place every year. A place I've never been to. Uh, it's a different situation, but uh, that's kind of what he's fixing to tell them. I'm fixing to take you a place you haven't ever been before. There are, whenever I went to see my daughter in Nashville, you don't think about this sometimes when you're traveling. You go in a different time zone, and you have to set your clocks differently because you've, you've left it. this time zone, went into another time zone. Zone is a very powerful word. We hear from time to time they were in the no-fly zone. 
somebody was flying where they weren't supposed to be flying some or in the danger zone uh anybody who lived in the 60s you remember the twilight zone uh, and we talk about the time zone if you like football you want to know about the end zone we don't get in there very often in florida you want to know about the strike zone if you're talking about baseball but the zone that we got to be careful of is the comfort zone that's that zone its definition is something like this a place where you're at ease in control not feeling tested you're just very comfortable lack of stress it's like a, a warm comfortable bed when you hear it's raining out there you know it's about 30 something degrees the wind's blowing and howling and raining and it's freezing and you don't want to get out of it that's your comfort zone those who are going to possess all that God wants for them have to get out of their comfort zone. We have to get out of where we feel comfortable. I'm satisfied. I'm at ease. I'm okay. Leave me alone. The Bible says, well, the Bible doesn't say this. This is a phrase I heard years ago. God loves to comfort the disturbed, and he loves to disturb the comfortable. And that's the way God does it. He has to disturb us sometimes. If he's going to take us places we've never been before, like he told the people, I'm going to take you a place you've never been, you have to be willing to get up out of where you're very comfortable. I heard one time of Moonshiner. He, uh, he was an old mountaineer, and he, he invited the preacher to come eat supper with him. And afterward, they were going to ride around in the mountains and the hills a little bit. And the preacher didn't know it. He said, Preacher, you see that there? He said, well, yeah. He said, what is that? He said, that's where I make moonshine. And the preacher said, oh, you do? I didn't know anything about that. He said, yeah, here's a jug of it. I want you to try it. The preacher said, no, I don't drink. I don't drink that. He said, I ain't asking you to get drunk. I just want you to take a swallow of it. He said, no, I'm not going to do it. I don't drink. Old, old moonshiner pulled out a pistol and put it in his nose. He said, I said, take a drink. He said, give me that jug. He took the old jug and turned it up. Whoo! Wee! That was terrible. He said, it's burning me all over. And the old moonshiner laughed at him. He said, here, take this pistol. Hold it on me so I can take a drink. So anyway, sometimes it's so hard. God's not going to hold a pistol to our head to get us to move. He's just going to put pressure on you by the Spirit of God. Gentle pressure to, to guide you, to push you a little bit. Because it's scary to walk by faith. You know it? It's scary to go places you hadn't been. It's very, very difficult to get out of that comfort zone. God has commands to be obeyed. Let's look at verse 6. <clears throat> then Joshua spoke to the priest saying, Take up the Ark of the Covenant and cross over before the people. Okay, this is his message to the, uh, to the priest there. You're going to lead the way. You're going to carry the Ark. The presence of God's going before you. When you step in the water, that's when it's going to go. It's going to recede. Then he had something to say to Joshua in, in verse 7. And the Lord said to Joshua, This day I will begin to exalt you in the sight of all Israel, that they may know that as I was with Moses, so I'll be with you. Now that's a hard scripture to follow. We don't need people looking at man. We don't need man to get so big-headed and feel like he's something special and people can't do without him. Why, why is God saying, I'm going to exalt you? In front of all the people. If you look at Exodus 14, 31, the same thing he did with Moses. 
Here's what he said then. This is when they're passing through the Red Sea. Thus Israel saw the great work which the Lord had done in Egypt. So the people feared the Lord and believed the Lord and his servant Moses. That's when they started saying, this guy Moses, maybe he is God's man. Maybe he is the one that can lead us. Uh, maybe he's the one that we need to be following. There was a, a, a book written by uh, S.I. McMillan called None of These Diseases. In it, there's an article, or not an article, but there's a little story of a girl that was writing applications to college. She wanted to go, I think it was a Christian college she wanted to go to, and she was going to fill out her application. The first line, the first question they ask on there, are you a leader? And she said, I'm not a leader. I'm not a, I'm not a leader type of person. I'm not people... People don't follow me and all that. And she said, I'm going to write that down, and they're not going to accept me. Probably the first question is going to disqualify me because they're probably looking for leaders in this Christian college. So, but she put down there, no, I'm not a leader. Waited about two or three weeks. She got a letter in from the college, and the college says, we've accepted you. We've got 1,452 people that are coming this year that are all leaders. They need at least one person that will follow uh, that's the way we've got a lot of people that want to be the leaders, but God says, I'm putting you, Joshua, you're going to be a leader and the people are going to know you're the leader. They're going to know that you've been with me, that you hear from me, that you speak for me and so forth. And that's very important. We see what's going on in our nation when we've got weak leadership. It's, it's a, it's a bad situation. He said, I want the people to realize you're the leader. Now look at what he said to the people in verses nine through 13. So Joshua said to the children of Israel, Come here and hear the words of the Lord your God. And Joshua said, this, By this you shall know that the living God is among you, and that he will without fail drive out from before you the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Hivites and the Perizzites and the Girkishites, Amorites and Jebusites. Behold, the ark of the covenant of the Lord of all the earth is crossing over before you into the Jordan. So here's what he says. Hear the words of the Lord. That's the first thing he said. Then he said, God's among you. You know, I need people to remind me from time to time. We all do. That God's here. God's among us. And he also said, and I will fight for you. I want to help drive out these enemies for you. We need to be reminded that. If God be for me, who can be against me? Somebody remind me of that every time you get a chance. God's on our side. And he said, I'm going to tell you who you're going to be up against. And he named every one of them nations that were part of the, the land they got to go take over. And uh, we're not going against nations. We're going against spiritual wickedness in high places and things like that. Your, your battle's not against flesh and blood. It's against the enemy behind that, principalities and powers. Now, here's the miracle, the step of faith. When the priest carrying the Ark of the Covenant stepped into the water, the Jordan River, then it rolled back or opened up or however you want to say it stood up like a heap it said in the king james version i always remember the old story of the guy that went young boy country boy that went to the old liberal college and this college here this people they didn't believe the half the bible they didn't believe in miracles they didn't believe in nothing and professor was teaching his class one day and he said how many of you actually believe god opened up the red sea and all them Israelites walked in there, and then it brought it crashing down on the, on the uh, Egyptian army. Nobody raised their hand. This one boy said, I believe that. He let the professor laugh, and he said, you really believe that, son? You honestly believe God opened up the water and people walked across it? 
He said, yes, sir, I've always believed that's what the Bible says. Well, let me tell you what really happened to straighten you out. Where they crossed, it wasn't that deep anyway. And the Bible says the wind was blowing and God was blowing it back and it was low tide. The water probably when they crossed, what but six inches deep. And all the students started laughing. He said, praise God. That's an even greater miracle. He drowned all them people in six inches of water. <laughs> uh, anyway, God, God is a God of miracles. He's fixing to do something special here. He rolled the water back to the city of Adam, it says. Now, how far did he roll it back? Some people said he rolled it back 15, 20 miles. I don't know. I do know this. If they were going by two by two or something, it would took them about five weeks. When you're talking about two million people, think of it this way. However many we got in this church, we'd have to empty this church about 8,000 times. That's a lot of people got to move. Anyway, God's getting them across there. Uh, when Charlton Heston went in the Ten Commandments, it didn't take him that long. Uh, but anyway, I know it took longer than that. When they got there, they were supposed to pick up 12 stones, the 12 leaders of, of the tribes, and they carried them about eight miles on the other side of Jordan and put it there in Gilgal. Now, Gilgal was about two miles from Jericho. That's the, next, that's the obstacle they're going to have to go fight. So they, they stacked up these big stones there. Uh, but think about this. God says when you step in the water, that's when it's going to part. That's hard for most people to walk by faith. We have to walk, take a step of faith. We want just the opposite. Some people here, you may be one of them, God, if you want me to move, you're going to have to give me a sign. You've got to give me a sign. If you don't give me a sign, I ain't doing it. Others, Lord, I will do it. If you'll open up the river, I'll cross by faith. No, he's saying you step in there by faith, and then I'll do it. It's just like paying tithes. I know a lot of people don't pay tithes and stuff like that. Shame on you. But here's the way I've heard people say, if God would bless us where we had some money left over, no! God don't want your leftovers. He said, you give me mine first and trust me for the rest of it. That's what faith is. You have to step out first and then you'll see how God will come through. You know, we want God to come through, then we'll follow along. That's not how it works in Christianity. If you're going to walk by faith. So anyway, he said, stand still and then watch. Step out there and then watch what happens. We need to re be reminded of what God will do when we step out by faith. Tonight, communion, that's really a reminder service. We're looking back at what God's done for us, and we're trying to remind ourselves. How many of you got some stones in your life that you'd like to use as a marker to show your kids and your grandkids this is what God did? We all need to have those stones, those legacies. That's what those stones were about. It was just a marker. The first time they came to the Jordan River 40 years ago, they didn't cross. The spies came back and 10 of them said, we ain't going in there, the giants and everything. We can't do it. And God let them die off. And now it's time to go again. And they're going across. Let me wind down and close and say this. J.W. Tucker was a missionary to the Congo. Now, this is in 1964, November 24th, J.W. Tucker, along with 60 other believers, had their hands tied behind their back and thrown in the Bomokande River full of crocodiles. 
What a way to go. Hands tied behind your back and crocodiles taking your life. J.W. Tucker was talking to a very famous uh, Assembly of God missionary, Morris Plotz, who was a missionary to Africa too. Before he went to the Congo, he asked Morris Plotz this. He said, Morris, I think God, I mean, God's leading me to the Congo. And Morris Plotz told him this. He tried to convince him, you don't want to go there. Uh, you won't. He said this, Morris said this, if you go in, you won't come out. And here's what J.W. Tucker said. God didn't tell me I had to come out. He just told me to go in. He died before he ever went in there, really. God's calling his children to go in, cross over Jordan. What's waiting when you cross over Jordan? Enemies. Battles. There's some milk and honey over there, too. And there's the presence of God over there, too, because that's where God's going. Or would you rather stay in your comfort zone? There's an old song, a little chorus we used to sing. I don't, we hadn't sang it forever. I don't even know if I remember it exactly, but I wrote it, wrote it down so I could remember the words. It said, God, any rivers you think are uncrossable? You got any mountains you can't tunnel through? God specializes in things that are impossible and he can do what no other power can do you believe that would you stand with me here we are at the getting close to the end of 21 days of prayer and fasting Some feel like the battles have gotten worse. Sometimes they do. When you're moving towards the enemy, where God says, I'll take you places you hadn't been, go ahead and get ready for that. It shouldn't shock you. One thing when you're running from the enemy coming behind us, another thing when you're going to him in his territory, what he's trying to prevent you from having. Anybody here ready to get out of your comfort zone? How many would say this, Lord, we're winding up 21 days of prayer and fasting. This year, I want you to take me places you hadn't taken me before. I would really like to go, not where it's comfortable or easy for me, but really where your presence is and where you would like me to be. If you believe that and want that, come down here and join me at the front. If you say, I'd rather keep the covers pulled up, I'm just fine right here. I'm going to coast the rest of the way in. Then that's all right. You can stay there. But you say, Lord, I want to cross over and just see what you have for me. You make room for everybody here. That's what we're here to pray about. That's what he said. You're going to cross over, and I'm going to take you a place you've never been before. Would you join me right now and let's lift up that prayer to God? Heavenly Father, we don't like turmoil. We don't like fighting. We don't like battles, warfare. 
We'd love to have some milk and honey. We love to be in your presence. But you said, Lord, if you'll lead us, you're going to lead us where you want us to go. And I pray, Father, this year, may we draw a line in the sand and say, Lord, I'm going to get out of my comfort zone. I'm willing to do something I haven't done before so you can take me places you haven't taken me before. I'm ready to leave behind the mundane, the ease, the compromise, the laid-back approach, and I'm ready to say, Lord, here am I, send me. Have me. Have your way, Lord, with me. So here we are, Lord. We're not standing at the Jordan River. We're standing around an altar, around the platform of the church. But we might as well be there. And we see you ahead of us. Help us to follow behind you where we don't take our eyes off of you. And you take us where you want us to go. I pray, Father, for each one here today. May we draw a line in the sand. We're going to have to step out and do things before we see them happen. That's what faith is, God. This is a walk of faith, a journey. But there's joy in this journey. And there's victory in this journey. And we want to be victors and not victims all of our life. We ask in the mighty name of Jesus, raise up men and women. May it be settled in their heart today. I'm ready to go where you want me to go. In the mighty name of Jesus, here I am, use me for your glory and honor. Jericho's just over the hill. I'm ready. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, church. God bless you. That's, that's our pledge. That's our prayer.